and welcome to the Arsenal way back again with you guys for another episode of our press box series our show in which we look ahead to what's coming up at the weekend after Mikel Arteta's latest press conference and where I'm joined of course by one of our colleagues from football.london very happy to be joined by Kai. Karnak how you doing mate you good? I'm very good mate thank you for having me on how about yourself? Yeah, not bad. This has been a busy week uh, with obviously three games in the space of seven days of which Mikel Arteta is clearly not bothered by whatsoever. Uh, mm-hmm. His reactions at the press conference, which is, of course is a little bit satirical. Um, but yeah, no, other than that, good. And uh, I'm ready for the weekend and the next game and hopefully uh, the chance to bounce back after that Liverpool defeat. But I want to start off talking today uh, about the news from the England camp specifically, Kaya, because Arsenal have had four players called up to the England national side. Ben White, of course, Bakaya Saka, Aaron Ramsdale, and maybe slightly surprisingly, Emile Smith-Rowe also given another call-up uh, with plenty of interest around the likes of Jaden Sanjo, who wasn't called up, of course, despite his recent good form, and despite the fact that Emile Smith-Rowe has been mainly on the bench for Arsenal of late. So, I mean, were you surprised by any of the selections, or do you think they were all very much deserving of those call-ups? I was uh, pleasantly surprised to see Emile Smith-Rowe in there. Um, because I'm not going to be upset about an Arsenal player getting involved in the England squad. But at the same time, if you're looking at on merit, which I think is the argument Arsenal fans would use to justify the selection of someone like a Ben White, for example, or definitely an Aaron Wamsdale, um, I don't think it quite applies to Mill Smith right at the minute. Not that he's not been playing well when he has played, but he's just been finding sort of regular game time difficult to come by pretty much since December. He's been unlucky, he's been injured, he's been ill, he's had COVID. Gabriel Martinelli has been playing very well. So things have really gone against him. And then to add to that, Jane Sancho has been pretty good for Manchester United, I, I think. I, I think, you know, if Marcus Rashford had maybe been put in there, then there could have been a conversation to be had about um, mm. sort of fairness. But Jane Sancho, in my opinion, deserves to be in the group. So it's a tough one. But Gareth Southgate's shown that he likes to be loyal uh, to the England players that he picks. And he likes players who come through that youth pathway. And obviously, Emil Smith-Rowe was involved in the under-20s. He's involved in the under-17s, all the way back with Phil Foden in that team that won the World Cup ages and ages ago now. And he's been involved in the under-21s as well. Been pretty mm-hmm. successful with Lee Carsley's men. So I guess when you look at it from that sense, it makes sense. It's probably a good sign for Smith-Rowe's World Cup chances as well, if he can impress in these two friendlies. And fingers crossed he'll be able to do that. Absolutely. He's a player that I know is very versatile. And if you look at the squad as well, who can play kind of on the on the right-hand side and the left-hand side and in, in the number 10 position, if called upon, he's obviously an asset. Interestingly, Bakaya Saka, to me, besides Raheem Sterling, who, to be honest, has played a lot of his time at City on the left, is the real only standout natural right-winger from the group that's been called up. Do you think that gives him a really good opportunity kind of nailing down that spot in the England team? Yeah, we were having a, a conversation about this actually ahead of the Liverpool game in the, in the press room, just sort of just going through the England squad list, trying to think about who the the first choice on the right wing is. And it probably is Bukayo Saka. Maybe we're all Arsenal journalists. Yeah. We're sort of blinded by it. Um, but I can't think of anyone else who on form probably deserves to be in there right now. Obviously, we spoke about Jane Sancho, but his form has been coming on the left. Raheem Sterling, like you said, on the left or in that false nine position largely. There's not that many left-footed wingers and Southgate shown himself to be a fan of sort of an inverted forward rather than more traditional sort of get to the byline type winger and that's where Bukayo Saka's really excelled I think also with the style of football Gareth Southgate wants to play it's slightly more cautious slightly more defensive and when you're playing that way you need players who are capable of beating the opposition press and turning away from a high press and we all saw in the Euros that game against Germany where Saka turned away from Robin Gersens and I think that was that was one of the the I think from an Arsenal perspective, one of the highlights of a tournament where there weren't many Arsenal players involved. So mm. I think Bukayo Zakaraf offers uh, Gareth Southgate a lot. And I think Southgate really does see that 
So, yeah, it's no surprise. And I, I'd be surprised personally if, if we're not seeing uh, what is it? It's Ivory Coast, and I forgot the other the game. Um, oh, yeah, you're gonna you're gonna catch me out now as well. Oh, so I'm gonna be looking at England gradually just typing uh, Switzerland. It's not a game, Switzerland. Okay, so I'd be surprised if if uh, whichever one Gareth Southgate views as a more important game, if Bukayo Saka isn't starting the more important game, if that makes sense. He tends to go mm. for his first eleven against the bigger opposition, and then be a bit more experimental against the the lesser side. So it'll be fascinating to see what he does. I, I think Bukayo Saka is in with a, a real shout of not just making this England squad, but being a, a regular starter in Qatar 2022. Absolutely. Uh, could be up against uh, Nicolas Pepe, of course, uh, going in those Ivory Coast, the battle of the right-wingers, uh, Arsenal, mm. over uh, the next couple of weeks or so. Um, what do you make of the international break kind of hitting at this specific point? Uh, because Arsenal have, have had these three games kind of back-to-back as well. Um, we've got Aston Villa tomorrow. And then we've got this... We had. I don't want to say the momentum was broken by Liverpool because I don't think it's a game in which when you drop points, you know, there's, there's a big shock about it. What could happen is it, is the game tomorrow against Villa obviously be a big point of, of contention if there's any points dropped and then the break that goes up until the next game. So do you think that the timing of the international break is is a little bit annoying for Arsenal or do you think they'll appreciate the recovery for players like Tommy Asu, etc.? Uh, possibly. I think a lot. Of, I've heard a lot of people say, and I, I totally agree with this, that we'll only really know how damaging that Liverpool result is for the momentum come about 230 on Saturday when the Aston Villa game is over. Obviously, if Arsenal win, then, you know, Arsenal can consign that to the past. They they played well against Liverpool. They weren't quite good enough on the day. And I think most realistic Arsenal fans will accept that's where the team are right now. But if they're not able to win or if they if they even lose that game at Villa Park, then you start to look at, is this sort of a knock to their confidence? Because they've been very good at winning these sorts of games. You think of Wolves away, you think of Brentford at home, Leicester at home, those kind of games that... Not always the easiest fixtures, and Arsenal have taken maximum points in all of them pretty much since the turn of the year, except for Burnley. So I back Arsenal to to get a win. We don't know, obviously, how the lack of rest is going to affect them. In relation to the international break, I think, uh, yeah, obviously for players like Tommy Asta, it would be fantastic. He's not been called up to the Japan squad, so I think it'd be good for him just to get a couple more weeks rest and really nurse that uh that uh, that calf injury because Mikel Arteta was saying in his press conference he says this every press conference and I'm almost starting to stop believing him but he said Tommy Asi has a chance of playing but what he did say is that he's coming back into training which is interesting so I think if Tommy Asi is back in full training now you'd like to think in two weeks time when the international break is over that he'll be able to come back into the starting 11 if needs be I mean Cedric has played pretty well so he might mm. have something to say about whether Tommy Asi necessarily comes straight back into the team but yeah I think it's a tricky one to answer right now as to uh, as to how, how difficult the international break is going to be, but um, we'll see, I guess. Lastly, on on kind of England things, uh, Ben White uh, getting a call-up, first time since prior to the European Championships, I think, of course. And for me, I mean, you look at the players that have been called up, Connor Cody, Harry Maguire, John Stones, he's had a better season than all of them. Is it fair for me to say that he is England's best centre-back right now? I So I think so. I think he is England's best centre-back, but I don't know if that means that he'll necessarily start for Gareth Southgate's team. And the reason I say that is because, like we mentioned before, Southgate is very loyal. And I can see if, uh, people in the comments saying that loyalty is not going to win a World Cup. And I, I do agree with that to an extent. But Southgate's been very big on trying to create the sort of club atmosphere around England. And for that reason, players like Harry Maguire tend to sort of view the England breaks as a bit of escapism from what is uh, pretty much a, a cauldron at Manchester United. It's not a very mm. nice atmosphere anyone to be around let alone Harry Maguire who's not playing well himself so I don't know if we'll see Ben White necessarily come in as a regular starter if it were up to me 
I think he should deserve, deserves to be in there. I think he's been better than John Stones this season. I think he's been better than Mark Gay, better than Tyron Mings and Connor Cody. I actually thought that Tyron Mings and Connor Cody were lucky to get in when you think about the likes of Fikaya Tamori, who are yeah, who's been really interesting. And there's there was another name who I can't remember who's, who's slipped my mind right now. But there's plenty of others who have been pretty good um, English centre-backs who haven't made this group, and I think they'll be a little bit frustrated. Dan Byrne was the, the player, actually, who yeah. I thought, well, I, you know, he's n- maybe not the most fashionable because he's six foot seven but as, as a guy six foot six i'm going to stick up for the the tall people and say you know dan Byrne deserves to deserve to be in there on form but that's not quite how gareth southgate likes to pick his england squads and i don't think we'll see ben white necessarily coming in instead of someone like a harry Maguire. maybe to partner him that could be interesting to see how those mm-hmm. two work but um we'll, we'll have to wait and see I'm, I'm a little bit skeptical of the idea of john stones and ben white as a partnership just because i think they're a bit too similar which means you'd have to drop harry Maguire to make that work as well so We'll see. Yeah. I think Ben White is England's best centre-back in answer to your question, but I don't unfortunately think that means that he will be uh, starting for England to come the World Cup. Let's move the focus then to tomorrow mainly, and we've already kind of touched on the Tommy Asu side of things, and, and there is an expectation probably that I, I'd be surprised to see him in the team uh, tomorrow, especially when there's this opportunity to give him that full rest. It's not like we've got to get him kind of match fit up for the next game in a, in a few days' time. You know, we've got this break now for him to get fully fit, but who knows? I mean, we've seen him surprisingly thrown into the lineup against Man City and Liverpool in the past, so who knows? But interestingly asked uh, about kind of the fixtures, again, a frosty response. And then, not only that, but we had a very interesting Antonio Conte uh, bomb dropped on the situation as well. What did you make of uh, the Italian's comments and and how do you think Arteta is going to respond when he's inevitably asked about Conte's uh, comments about what he said? I'd like to see the context in which Conte was asked the question. So whether Mm. he sort of brought that up without really being prompted or whether he... Uh, I've read the quotes on Twitter. I've not managed to see the video of it. But, um, yeah, I, it's, a, it's a bit of a weird one. I, I guess Tottenham, you could tell by the statement they put out at the time, were very upset about the fact the North London derby got rescheduled. But at the same time, they and several other Premier League teams had already used the similar logic that Arsenal used to get that game called off. And there were no complaints mm. then. So, if you want to talk about fairness, you can go into all sorts of things which make the integrity of the Premier League this season a little bit difficult. I think Mikel Arteta probably is a bit um, in the wrong here when he comes to complaining about the Wednesday-Saturday because yeah. it's going to happen every week if Arsenal are in the Champions League and it's just something that they're going to have to deal with. And obviously it's not ideal to go from 8.15 to 12.30, but it does happen and it's something that does happen. And when they were playing Thursday-Sunday last season, I don't remember him complaining too much about that. It's the same sort of turnover. So I'm maybe not in favour of what Mikel Arteta was saying, but I think Antonio Conte, it seems to me like he's just trying to sort of foster maybe a bit of uh, rivalry between the two teams and trying mm. to G up his players, maybe send subliminal messages. He's very much about winning and he's an ultra-competitive guy. So I'm not surprised to see him sort of not giving Arteta an inch, but Arteta is just as competitive and I don't think he'll give Conte anything either. If you want to watch, of course, either of those press conferences, the one where Mikel Arteta talks about the uh, his feelings about fairness and, and the Premier League, and of course, Conte's as well, you can see both of them uh, on the channel. So uh, make sure that you are looking across the feed to find all of that content for you. Um, what's interesting, though, I think, from the press conference and, and a little bit of a kind of a transfer line that came out was the question about Coutinho, who, of course, Arsenal come up against tomorrow. And effectively, you know, it seemed from the way in which Mikel Arteta answered the question that he confirmed that he was a player that was kind of looked at, considered, uh, and on a list of players when they were looking at kind of attacking midfielders. 
but they decided to go in a different direction. And of course, we ended up with Martin Odegaard, and you know we've been very thankful for Martin Odegaard's contributions this season. Firstly, how much of a threat do you think Coutinho is going to be uh, tomorrow? And secondly, do you think that the reasons behind maybe Coutinho's snub was a little bit because of the direction we're moving in regarding age profiles and transfers? Yeah, I think so. I think also the idea that... Um, Arteta wants to sign players who are on the trajectory upwards rather than players necessarily who are on a bit of a downwards trajectory. Coutinho has been good at Aston Villa. His numbers are very impressive, but I don't think uh, we've seen necessarily the type of player who would do what Martin Erdegaard wants to do. There are very different types of players who Coutinho and Erdegaard. So I think that Arsenal did make the right decision. I think that um, Erdegaard was the better signing for them. Mm. That's not to say Coutinho is a bad player. I just think Erdegaard was the better signing. And I was, I was, Sort of defending Odegaard as a selection in the summer, and I'll continue to do that now, especially now he's playing well and proving me right. So that's a little feather in my cap. But um, yeah, Arsenal were they they looked at Coutinho because there's that link between Edu and Kia Jarabjian, who's obviously um, Coutinho's agent. So that's something to consider. But um, I don't necessarily think that uh, they were ever really going to go for him. It's sort of one of those that maybe if it had been a, a season earlier and if it had been the January transfer window before when Arsenal signed Cedric and Pablo Maria and Mikel Arteta was a bit more inclined to Raul Sanye's way of thinking in terms of maybe a bit more contact-led yeah. recruitment. Maybe Coutinho would have been a bit more of a realistic proposition. But right now with this current Arsenal team and the way they do scouting, it's a lot more data-driven. It's a lot more focused. It's a lot more specific and it's a lot more analysis of character as well. I don't think Coutinho would have survived that sort of filtration process, I want to say. So, yeah, I think think that um, as a result, you know, he probably wouldn't have wouldn't have been on Arsenal's top list, let's say. Um, We're going to dip into the uh, chat box now uh, for the last uh, six, seven minutes of the show. So if you've got any questions that you'd like us to try and tackle, then throw them in. Dana uh, asking, would you make any changes to the Aston Villa lineup tomorrow? Well, this is a bit of a prelude for Reporters uh, 11 piece that we've got coming out this evening with myself, Chris Sweetley, and Tasha and Dinner Elaine. You like a teaser trailer, if you like. Yeah, okay, I'll give you a teaser. (laughs) It involves Nuno Tavares coming in for Kieran Tierney. That's my my headline, at least. I think uh, Tash has gone for dropping Bakaya Saka in favour of Emil Smith-Rowe in a false nine and Nicola Pepe coming into the the side. There's a few few questionable decisions my my feeling with Tabras is Tierney is most definitely going to play all the minutes for Scotland over the international break and he's shown himself to be someone whose body sometimes doesn't cope well with that really fast turnaround mm. of game so maybe just with the 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 way that Nuno played against Villa in the reverse fixture perhaps you could look at changing that but I, I don't think that's something that I'm necessarily wedded to I, I wouldn't be devastated if Tierney's starting I, that's probably one of the few changes I'd look at beyond that you're looking at maybe Smith Rowe versus Martinelli on the left I'd keep Martinelli in just because of how well he played, even though you've got sort of the Emil Smith Road derby kind of against Villa because they had the cheek to put in that £25 million bid in the summer. But I think, yeah, yeah. Arsenal should probably probably stick with the same eleven if it's possible, given the, the short turnaround. We'll see. Uh, I know you hate doing these, but you've been pushed for a prediction uh, for tomorrow's game as well. What are you going to go for that? Really hard one. Do you want to go first? He does say guys, so plural. If you want to go first. Uh, yeah, I... <laughs> I will go. I think I went for three-one. I think was my prediction to Arsenal. Um, 
I think there will be I think there will be changes. I personally wouldn't change anything. And I know this is a bit of an unpopular view, but I mean I look back and we discussed it before about the games against Southampton, West Ham and Leeds where we played the exact same lineup in those three yeah. games in eight days and we won all three of those games. And I feel like there's an element of, you know, I really kinda of want to see Martinelli kept despite him playing the full game against Liverpool because I think you know, I think he'd want to reward himself and really be motivated to try and get something from his performance that he wasn't able to get against Liverpool. Um I like the consistency of the team. I like it when it's kept together so i would keep it the same and so i went for 3-1 just knowing that a bit of tired legs may open up a couple of gaps for for villa to get behind but i have absolute faith that you know we can win this game and and take three points from it so there you go i've, yeah. I've vamped for you a little bit there <laughs> i'm gonna go for a one nil to the arsenal just because i think that villa's defense is pretty decent they've got Callum chambers in there obviously emmy martinez is ex-arsenal as well so we know them pretty well um, they won't necessarily be easy to score against, but I think they are going to come on to Arsenal, which will leave a few gaps in behind. Then I think when Arsenal go in front, they might not push too hard for second, third, fourth, etc. just because of how knackered they're likely to be. They might look to lock it down, which is something they've shown they can do pretty well. If you look back on that Wolves game, if you look back on plenty of games this season, uh, especially away from home. So yeah, that's my mm. prediction. Uh, classic 1-0 to the Arsenal, which I think most fans would be pretty happy with. Just get the three points and drive back down to London and... Yeah, go from there. Um, interesting question from Penny Wing, who says, uh, would you like to see harsher punishments for fans that invade the pitch? I asked because the Everton uh, game had an added delay of 14 minutes. Now, I mean, I was sitting in the North Bank on Wednesday and mm. we had a similar situation where a fan tried to enter the pitch, tried to attach themselves to the post and was swiftly stopped from doing that, thankfully, uh, and was dealt with. I think there may have been two invaders, in, in fact, on the day. So I remember seeing two people taken out. So what do you make of, of this kind of trend? And we've seen an upward trend in the number of pitch invaders in the last couple of years as well. Yeah, it's the same. Uh, the guy who was at Everton last night had the same message as that invader on his his shirt, the, the stop the oil message. I'm not, yeah. it's not the clearest of messages in terms of what exactly they're trying no, to do. You, Maybe that's you me. Could put a, more, yeah, like, yeah well, olive oil or you know like... yeah exactly <laughs> exactly he's a sunflower old man but it's just yeah. it's it's a bit vague but chaining himself to um to the post is a new one uh, i guess it's a way to to gain attention if you want to do that but you're right um pitch invasions have become more of a thing recently particularly uh i've noticed them a lot at the emirates this season i've noticed them mm. a lot in general I'm not really sure what that's about. Maybe fans are a bit more happy to be back in the stadiums after after COVID. They've not generally been to make political points like um, like we saw no, last night and against Wednesday. So I don't know. Maybe that's something to keep an eye on this weekend if those um, stop the old protesters are back and trying to trying to in, in sort of impact more games. Then then maybe there's a conversation to be had. But I think they they get um, lifetime bans, um, say pitch invaders. So that's that's pretty harsh. I mean, I'm not sure you can get much harder harsher than that. So no, I but think I think there's maybe people are saying that those people that are invading the pitch aren't necessarily Arsenal fans in some cases. Maybe like we saw last night uh, and on Wednesday. So whether or not that's a respective punishment, or you know, it's you need to, <clears throat> need to start going down kind of a legal route, I suppose. Yeah, it's tricky. I, I I think you'd have to look at how they buy their tickets, and then you have to go into a whole sort of backstory behind that so it's, it's very difficult to 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 know exactly but it's something to look at and i think if it continues and if these sort of political statements continue then maybe maybe there's something to, to be considered there 
Absolutely. Um, let's have a check on uh, the team news for Villa because there was an interesting question um, in the chat box from Manoush. It says Villa have got several injuries. Luca Dina, um, Douglas Louise, and some more out. Do you think that there's enough missing for them that you know it is going to be a significant hit to their abilities tomorrow? Sure. I mean, their depth is decent. They've got a, a, a decent depth, but I wouldn't say it's as strong as what Arsenal have got. And Arsenal are going into the game with arguably Tommy Asu is their only real fitness concern. So I think, yeah, that's um, that's a good thing for, for Arsenal if they're looking for positives. But I don't think that means that Arsenal should underestimate Villa. I don't think it means they should go there expecting a victory just because they've not got Luka Dean. They've, they've got plenty of other good players, Aston Villa, who Arsenal need to to watch out for. And, you know, Mikel Arteta's never won at Villa Park in sort of two tries. Mm-hmm. So third time we're asking, we'll have to wait and see. Callum Chambers is expected to start as well because Hauser yes. is is also injured. So that's gonna be <laughs> that's gonna be interesting. Um I mean he, he knows the Arsenal team inside out, but we obviously know that's his it. strengths and weaknesses. So is there any do you think it cancels each other out, or do you think there's a slight edge on his part? If I was Gabriel Martinelli, I'd be looking to run at Callum Chambers on that right side of the fence. I'd be looking to come a bit infield and just charge at him. Um just because we know that. Callum Chambers, who is, I think, personally, a really good centre-back. And I think if Arsenal had been able to hold on to him, that would have been a smart move. But obviously, he had six months left on his contract. And he wasn't going to sign an extension. So, yeah. letting him go to Villa made sense. But I think he's a good player. That said, we all know that when he's being run at and when he's in transition, he's not as strong. So, I think, yeah, there's definitely ways that Arsenal can exploit that for sure. Kyle, thank you so much, mate, for coming on the show. Really appreciate your time. As always, tell people where they can find you and what you're going to be up to. Yeah, I am on at KaiKanat97 uh, on Twitter and I am on KaiKanat Journalist on Facebook. You can find all my stuff on the football.lum website. I am going to be at Villa Park tomorrow, bringing you all the previews to that. This evening, we've got the reporters lineup, which I said, predicted lineup tomorrow. And then, like I said, all the build up and live coverage on the football.london website. Absolutely. You'll be able to see your match reaction shows on the channel too. So I look forward to bringing you that content. Uh, Everyone is on tomorrow. So it could be interesting to see who's going to be doing the match reaction show. So do make sure you tune in and turn those notifications on so you don't miss it. Thank you to Guy in the background. You can find us on Twitter at the Arsenal Way N5. It's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you guys as it always is. And as always, keep following us down the Arsenal Way.